Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. We have an incredible guest today, Dr. Jim Tour. Dr. James Tour has been with us before. You may remember a couple months ago in a powerful presentation. This being Easter, we have asked him to talk about can the Bible be trusted on the issue of the resurrection? Can the Bible truly be trusted? on the issue of the resurrection. Dr. Tour from Rice University in Houston, thank you so much for being with us. Share with us. Okay, let me, let me open in a word of prayer if I could. Abba Father, I pray for the outpouring of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that what comes forth would be glorifying to you, that Jesus would be glorified, the Son of God would be glorified, Father, I pray that you would touch each heart and give them stronger assurance in the validity of the account in the word of God of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, impact each heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, touch each one. Father, make your word come alive for us, I pray. Make it come alive that our hearts would burn within us as you open the scriptures to us. Lord, break through to our hearts, I pray, for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to try to share some slides here. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just bring you through some of these slides and, uh, and talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what do all religious scholars from all religious backgrounds agree upon? And, and uh, they will all agree. If you go to any academic institution, they will all agree on this, no matter whether the Hindu, Muslim, Christian, uh, 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 Stoics, they're all going to agree on this if they're scholars, that Jesus died by crucifixion. Some even suggest that this is the most solid fact of ancient history. Number two, the disciples of Jesus believed that Jesus rose from the dead and that he appeared to them. And number three, certain unbelievers and even enemies of Jesus believed that Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to them. For example, Paul and Jesus's brother James, who, who remained an unbeliever until after Jesus appeared to him at the resurrection. That's what they'll all agree upon. So with that backdrop, Let's look at, at a few verses. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's two things here. You have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. So in order to be saved, we have to believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's an interesting thing. How can a thinking man or woman ever believe such a thing. This is, this is an incredible barrier. If these guys were just trying to start a new religion, they never would have put this as a barrier. They would have said, you got to believe that Jesus loved the children. Oh, I, I can believe that. Okay, come on in. No, this is, this is a strong word that we have to believe that he's risen from the dead. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses, verses uh, 1 through 4, it says, it says, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you 
which also you received in which also you stand by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So this is the most important thing. The most important thing is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he was, he, that, that, uh, uh, that Jesus died for our sins according to, our script, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That is the thing of first importance, the most important thing. When I underline here, this is just me underlining. The, the Greek and the Hebrew, they, they, they had other ways of, of, of stressing things. But uh, So when I underline, when you see an underline, that's just me. But it's possible to believe in vain, that you can have a belief that's in vain if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because that's the most important thing, his death, his burial, his resurrection, according to the scriptures. That in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 5 through 8, it says, and he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So you see this listing of people. He's giving the name. Cephas, this is the same as Peter. One is in Greek, the other is in, in, in Aramaic. Uh, 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 apostles. Uh, by this time, Judas Iscariot had hung himself, but they, 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 they chose Matthias to replace him. He appeared to them. Then he appeared to, to 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. So he's saying, go check it out. The most of them are still alive because this is written 15 or 20 years after uh, uh, the resurrection of Jesus, but he's saying most of the people are still alive. You can ask them. He appeared to James, listing another one. He appeared to the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. And so the, the thing about this is, is, is that we'll learn more about this, but the scriptures are emphatic. The resurrection is so important, and he's listing people that have seen it. Physical resurrection. Uh, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. So Thomas was not trying to believe. This is not something where he said, you know, I, I got to force myself to believe in the resurrection. No, he didn't believe. He didn't believe. He says, look, I'm not going to believe it because the other disciples had seen him and uh, they reported it to Thomas. And, and this may have been the reason why they didn't go to the Galilee, because Thomas just said, look, I'm not going to believe it unless I stick my finger into the hole in his hands, unless I stick my hand into the hole in his side. Because when Jesus was up on the cross, he was stabbed in his side after he was dead. He was stabbed in the side by a Roman centurion from below him. You give me a spear. I don't know how to kill somebody, but I'm sure I could figure it out. But you, you, you put a spear in the hands of a Roman soldier. They are trained in it. When somebody is trained in something, they get very good at it. They would thrust it in very hard turn it 90 degrees, yank it out very hard, leaving a big gaping hole. So Thomas was not wanting to believe. Then it says, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and he stood in their midst and he said, peace be to you. Shalom Aleichem, common expression. Then he said to Thomas, reach here your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it in my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. So he says, Thomas, come here and stick your finger into the holes in my hands. 
And now I want you to stick your hand into the hole in my side. This could not have been an imposter. This could not have been makeup. Nobody is walking around with a hole in the side big enough for a man to stick his hand. And this is what Thomas did. And, and you know, he stuck his hand in. For all we know, Jesus said, deeper, deeper. Just put it all the way in it. This is, is, is substantiating that, that Thomas then says to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. And so that one appearing bore wounds and that the wounds were not faked through makeup shows that he could not have been an imposter. Okay, Luke chapter 24, verse 36 through 38 says, while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and he said to them, peace be to you, shalom aleichem. But they were startled and frightened and they thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? He wanted to put to rest this idea that this was just a spiritual resurrection. Luke 24, 39 through 42, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, touch me. And see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. Jesus encourages them, come, touch me. He says, see, I have flesh, I have bones. It's real. He put to... To, to, to rest this idea that it was just a spiritual resurrection. And they still couldn't believe it. So he says, give me a piece of fish. Why, why, why did he ask for fish? Because he, he asked for something to eat. He just asked for something. But they gave him fish. They gave him fish because Jesus loved fish. He was always multiplying fish. And, and so they, they thought, you know, if it's Jesus, we give him fish. He'll like it. And he ate it. He liked it. And, uh, uh, and he eats and, and, and this is a demonstration that he's alive. Have you ever seen a spirit eat? No, no, nobody's ever seen a spirit eat because spirits don't eat. Jesus ate before them. This is a physical resurrection. So if we look at some of the, the scriptures, sometimes people think the Bible has all different stories about the resurrection. Let me, let me clarify all this for you. We're going to show how there's no discontinuity in the scriptures regarding the resurrection account. Matthew 28, verse 1 says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn, toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Actually, Mary was the most common name in the first century. So Mary Magdalene, the one who, who had had the demons, and then the other Mary, doesn't give us any, any more specificity than that, came to look at the grave. So it mentions two women. In 28.10, it says, now there were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and there were all, and also the other women with them telling these things to the apostles. So now it lists three by name. This is not discontinuous. Just because he mentioned two in 28.1, now in, in verse 28.10, he's mentioning a, a that there were other people with them. Lots of times there are occasions when you're with people and, and you don't mention everybody that was there in a certain situation. And then, then they, they mentioned there's no discontinuity here. Mark 16, 1, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salmon and, and, and Salome, Salome brought, bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. It mentions three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome. So, so, we also know from this context, there was also another woman, Joanna, but it just mentions three women. And uh, uh, here in 28.1, it mentions there were other women. 
says. So there's three plus others. Well, one of those others was obviously Salome. 24.10, Luke 24.10. Now there were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and also other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. Three women plus others. Maybe a Salome is among them. And it just says that there were others. There's no discontinuity here. This is exactly what you would hear in reporting if there were no collusion between the way that they were writing. John 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Only one woman is mentioned. Only one woman, and she came and she went to the tomb. So, so on the first day of the week, they went to the Sabbath. Let me tell you something. When I, when I go to the airport, so we're a family of six. I, I have my wife, Shireen, and I have four kids. When we go to the airport, when, when my kids were all still living with us, say they were teenagers or something, we would go to the airport. We would all go in the same car. We would get to security at the same time. After security, I would get to the gate first. How did that happen? Well, we went together, but I would get to the gate first because my wife is always going to stop and buy a Starbucks coffee and buy something else. And the kids were always going to go and, and look around and we'd meet at the gate. Just because people leave at the same time doesn't mean that they, they get there at the same time. And then also people go to the same location. They don't always go at the same instant. So for example, when we got two cars, it was a real blessing in my family. Before that, on Sunday mornings, I would just sit in the driveway and honk the horn, and, and I couldn't understand why my wife would always come out so angry. Um, uh, but when we got two cars, we, we'd go sit in the, in the same pew next to each other in church, but we'd go separately, and everybody was peaceful. So just because you, you, we both went to church on Sunday and we sat together at church on Sunday doesn't mean we embarked at exactly the same instant. This is normal. This is normal at what happens in life. Uh, uh, and some records of the resurrection that raise questions. So Matthew 28, verse 5 and 6, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Mark 16, verse 5 and 6, entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting to the right wearing a white robe. Here it's described as a young man, here it's described as an angel, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed, you're looking for Jesus of the Nazarene who's been crucified. He's risen. He's not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. Luke 24, 4 through 6. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And, uh, and as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. In each of these two verses, they never said there was only one angel. They just said the angel or a young man. It didn't say that there was, you know, for all we know, there were a hundred angels. And, and here, two of them stood near them in dazzling clothing. There's no discontinuity here. So some records, again, let's look at some more. Verse 28, Matthew 28, 7 and 8. Go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they, the women, left the tomb quickly and fear and great joy and ran to report it to the disciples. So it says, it says th that they were told to go and report this. And it says they, meaning the women, left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran and reported it to the disciples. 
Mark 16, verse 7 and 8. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They went out and they fled from the tomb for trembling and, and astonishment had gripped them. And they, the women, said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. So you see these two different things. One says that the women went and reported it. The other says they were, they were, they were too scared to say anything. There are two, obviously there are two different sightings of this, two different groups of women. And we're going to see this. And this is all going to make sense. And when people even start going together, they don't always end up together. You, you take my wife and I at the airport. We'll get off the plane. We disembark together. And I just start walking. And then I stop, I look around, my wife's not there, and I just stand there, and eventually she catches up, and we start walking again, and I walk, and I walk, and, and she's not around, and I stop, and I wait, <laughs> she comes through, and this happens, this is normally what happens in life, you go with a group of people, they don't all walk at this, in, in the same pace. Okay, so there are many ways to put all of these accounts together that, that, that corroborates the four gospel accounts. This is just one of many ways. The women set out for the grave to anoint Jesus's body with spices. There are several women, including Mary Magdalene, Salome, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and one or more. There are greater than or equal to five women. That's what we can tell. Mary proceeds faster than the others and arrives at the grave before the others arrive. Mary sees the stone rolled away and Jesus's body missing. She sees no angels and no Jesus. She immediately turns and runs to report this to Peter and John. While Mary is away getting Peter and John, the other women arrive at the tomb. The other women arriving at the tomb see the stone rolled away and the angels telling them that Jesus is risen from the dead. Terrified, they flee and they become scattered as they run. Sometime during the women's, not including Mary's, flight, they become divided, and Jesus appears to greater than one of them, but not all of them. So, so you see here that, that uh, uh, Jesus is going to appear to, to uh, a group of them. So they're running away. Now think about this. This is early in the morning. It's the light is just coming up. There's trees in the way, and there's this group of women who see these angels, and they just start running. You think they're going to hold hands and just start skipping along down into town? No, they're running and they get divided. And there's, there's a couple different groups. It says, it says uh, uh, they become divided and Jesus appears to greater than one of them, but not all of them. He comforts those to whom he appears and he tells them to tell the brethren, which they do. The other women who were fleeing and not present at his disappearing of Jesus continue to run away out of fear and tell no one about their sightings, i.e. the moon stone and the angels at the tomb. While the other women are in flight from the tomb, John and Peter arrive with Mary likely running behind them. And I'm just assuming this because generally men run faster than women, or it used to be, not anymore. But, but you know, women had, I don't know, dresses, slow them down. And, and John, and it says, it says, John got there first, but he was looking in, and then Peter then came in. Peter and John see the grave clothes, but they see no angels and no Jesus. John leaves for home believing, while Peter leaves for home in amazement, the scripture says. Mary is left standing at the tomb without John and Peter. Mary then sees and hears angels. Then she sees Jesus, first thinking him to be the gardener until he calls her name. After seeing and hearing and clinging to Jesus, she runs to tell the disciples that she's seen him. 
Mary's seeing of Jesus occurs moments before he appeared to this group of women in number six, because he appeared first to Mary. This is one of many ways that you can put all of these accounts together. There's no discord in the accounts. So if the resurrection had been fabricated, there would never have been an account over the four Gospels like this. Such an account argues against its fabrication. They would have waited a prudent amount of time, like a hundred plus years before, before publishing a, the account, such as the form of legends to ensure that all witnesses have died. The or, early origin of the resurrection argues against its fabrication. This is occurring, this account is occurring on the night, on, on the morning of, of his resurrection, the same morning. This is not a legend. This is not how legends start. Number three, they would have published the account far from the venue of its occurrence. They would have published this in Rome, or they would have published this in Syria. They never would have published this right there in Jerusalem where it happened. The resurrection account beginning in Jerusalem argues against its fabrication. Number four, they would have become more selective with the choices of the witnesses. Uh, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5 through 8, it says, then he appeared to Cephas, then he appeared to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Hallucinations are never shared. People can hallucinate, but people hallucinate for things that they expect. They didn't expect to see the risen Savior. They didn't, we see the scriptures report that. Nonetheless, you have 500 people seeing him at one time. Hallucinations are not shared. A person can have a hallucination. But here you had 500 people at one time, and he's naming them. He's naming them. He's saying, inviting people, go ask these people. They're alive. They remain until now. Uh, they would have been more selective in the choice. In John chapter 19, 38 and 39, it says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. So he came and he took away the body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds weight. So there's, there's, there's uh, um, uh, you have Joseph of Arimathea and you have Nicodemus. Both of these men were in the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin consisted of 70 men, included the high priest. You had 70 men and the high priest. You had two-thirds of it being, being uh, Sadducees, one-third Pharisees. Both of these men were in the Sanhedrin. Both of them are named here, absolutely named. This is like saying, ask Chief Justice, Justice Roberts. I mean, this is these are important people who people knew, very important people. And both of these people became impoverished because of their ultimate testimony. Extra-biblical sources tell us about this, because of their being cast out from, from society, from, from Jewish society, as a result of their testimony. Both were on the Sanhedrin. The account listing the names of the witnesses argues against its fabrication. If things are fabricated, they don't give accounts like this. Uh, if the resurrection had been fabricated, Mary never would have been identified as the first to see Jesus because a woman's testimony had no credence at that time. They, th their testimony in court didn't mean anything, both in Rome uh, uh, and in, in, in Israel. Their testimony meant nothing. It'd be like asking the family dog, what, what, what was the burglar like? It doesn't mean anything. doesn't mean anything. But she's the first to see Jesus. 
Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I've seen the Lord and that he had said these things. Now, after he had risen from early on the first day of the week, he had first appeared to Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse five and six, he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Why does first Corinthians not mention Mary? Well, it doesn't say he appeared first to Cephas, it just say he appeared to first. He appeared to Cephas. Because he is giving a legal argument, a legal account, the woman's testimony has no meaning. Well, why did Jesus appear then to Mary first? Why does it say that Jesus appeared to Mary first? Because that's the way it happened. It's just reporting what happened. It's not worrying about what the legal framework is here. It's just reporting what happened. The account listing Mary as the first witness argues overwhelmingly against its being a fabrication. If they fabricated this, they never would have had a woman being the first to receive this, this testimony of Jesus' rising from the dead. Uh, if the resurrection account had been fabricated, there never would have, there would have been supernatural displays at the moment of Jesus' coming out of the tomb. Nobody ever saw Jesus come out of the tomb. You'd think that this would be the thing that they embellished the most. Jesus comes out. Here I am. Nothing, nothing. You don't, there's no account of the instant he comes out. You'd think he, oh, he went up and spinning around and flames coming out of his feet and you know, nothing, nothing. There's nothing here. It just says, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men, which I put in fainted. And uh, so you see, there's nothing, nobody saw him when he first came out of the grave. If they were going to fabricate this thing, they would have embellished that more than anything. The account reporting no witnesses to the moment of his leaving, the, 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 the guards were, were fainted. They didn't see it. At the moment of his leaving the tomb argues against its fabrication. If the resurrection had been fabricated, the religious leaders and the guards would not have had to invent a story to cover up the resurrection. And in fact, it was, it was the Jewish leaders that were the first to publicize the empty tomb. They were the ones who were trying to get out ahead of this problem. Matthew 28, 11 through 15 says, now that while they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests and all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money as, and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews. And it is to this day, to this day, this story is spread. But they had to think of something fast. They had a huge public relations problem. The tomb was empty. The, the guards there came and reported that. The tomb was empty. The Roman seal had been broken. These guards were responsible for this on their life to keep that thing to, and it was set there, the guards were set there at the request of the Jews to make sure the body could not be stolen and the body was gone. And, and so, so they go to the Jewish leaders because if they go to the governor, they're gonna get killed. And the Jewish leaders pay him a bunch of money and say, it, just say that his disciples took him away while we were asleep. And they had to make up something fast. You make up a story fast, you're going you're gonna to say something like this. But if they're asleep, how did they know who took the body? The religious leaders and the guards inventing and propagating such a story argues against the fabrication of the resurrection account. If they're asleep, how do they know the disciples took them? How are they going to know? There's a big stone that's set in a, in, in a divot, and it would take several men to turn that stone away. If they're asleep, they don't know. So the story, even the story they made up, made no sense. 
but they're trying to think up something very fast. So this is a ridiculous story. If you're asleep, you don't know who took the body. They're not going to, th- th- this is not a fabricated story here. All right, uh, uh, this, uh, the, the gospel's not fabricated. Their little story about how what happened was fabricated. The four gospel accounts would have been more duplicative in the testimony of their events. Precise overlap in the accounting of events speaks of collusion. I teach organic chemistry. Within organic chemistry, there is one correct answer. There are a million incorrect answers. Two students had to go on a class trip with another class. I gave the exams to the, uh, we, we give the exams on Monday nights. I gave the, the, these exams to the professor that was taking them on this trip. I said, tell them to go to the rooms at seven o'clock in the evening. They're going to have to take this exam. Then they can give them back and return the exams to me. And he did that. And usually I have the students grade the exams, the, the student graders. But here I thought, well, by the time I track them down, I'll, I'll have to, it'd be easier to just grade them myself. So I graded one of the exams and then I graded the other and whoa. This same wrong answer was in that exam and this same wrong answer. And not only that, the molecules were drawn at exactly the same angle. Molecules are freely rotating in space. Nobody draws them exactly the same. They colluded on this. The students colluded. When there's precise overlap, there's collusion. So you say all the accounts aren't exactly the same. If they had been the same, it'd be collusion because they'd be writing, what did you write? Okay, Luke, I'll write the same thing. John, what did you write? Okay, I'll write this. It would have been collusion that they're not exactly the same speaks of it being, being a, 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 a bona fide testimony. The resurrection account reporting the events as a comp rather than a du- duplicative set argues against its fabrication. If the resurrection had been fabricated, the apostles would be shown in a more favorable light and not as being timid and unbelieving. Mark 16, 11 says, when they heard that he was alive and had been and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. Mark 24, 10 and 11. Also, the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles, but these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not, and they would not believe them. Look, if you're fabricating these things, you'd say, and Mary came and reported this, and I said, why did this surprise you, Mary? He only told us a hundred times he was going to rise from the dead. It doesn't surprise me at all. No, they, they didn't. They're reporting this as it was. The, ex- the exposed weaknesses of the apostles argues against the resurrection's fabrication. If they were fabricating this, they never would have written themselves in a poor light. Uh, there would have been more, would have been omens and curses and threats proclaimed against those who sought to investigate. Peter proclaimed in Acts 2, 32, this Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. The same proclamation in Acts 3, 15, 5, 32, and 10, 39 that the disciples invited inquiry through witness and, and that there are no omens listed for searching out the account argues against the resurrection's fabrication. If you're making this up, you'd say, look, if you don't believe this, if you try to start poking around here, God's going to poke your eyes out. He's going to kill your firstborn. No, nothing. He invites it. The New Testament invites investigation. If the resurrection had been fabricated, it never would have been preached as an essential element of the new faith. Such a lofty requirement is too difficult for a new religious expression. It says that we have to believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. If that belief in the resurrection was made a requirement for entry into this new faith, it speaks of the resurrection's authenticity. 
And lastly, the apostles upon facing death would have recanted their testimony. Many are willing to suffer and die for what they believe. Look, I would die for what I believe. But these men did not die for what they believed to be true. These men, and not just these men, these women, many, many of the disciples testified that they had seen the risen Savior, and they did not die for what they believed to be true. They were dying for what they knew to be true, and nobody dies for what they know to be a lie. They were dying for what they knew to be true because they saw it with their own eyes. That the apostles were tortured and killed for the testimony of the resurrection supports the resurrection's authenticity. We died for what we believed to be true. They died for what they knew to be true. You think about the ways that these people died. Extra-biblical accounts report, Peter was crucified upside down. One of the disciples was boiled in oil. Another was flayed alive where they pin you down and they start peeling your skin off you like you're a fish. And, and uh, you know, they'd be boiling the oil and the disciple would, would, would say, uh, guys, uh, psych, April fools, uh, uh, let me show you where the body is. Nobody is going to die for something they know to be a lie. And over and over again, you can read the writings of Tacitus. He was putting people to death for the testimony that they'd seen the risen Savior. Uh, 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 he talks about how, how people were dying for this. They would, they would tie fresh animal skins to them and throw them to wild dogs. Uh, plenty of the younger writes about this sort of thing, the way that they were torturing Christians for pe people saying that Jesus had risen from the dead. This, was, this, this is something that they're dying for what they knew to be true. You say, okay, well, well you know, this is all the Bible. What, what, what do other historians say? Well, Will Durant in The Story of Civilization, which The Story of Civilization is an eight-volume series. It's like the Encyclopedia Britannica. It's huge. Uh, I, am reading, I am reading right now the chapter on Caesar and Christ. It is just a huge chapter. I mean, just a huge volume. Now, you say, well, Will Durant must be a Christian. No, he says of himself, I'm still an agnostic with pantheistic overtones. But he's an expert historian. He's probably the best historian of the 20th century. Uh, he wrote The History of Civilization in the 1940s. Just an amazing, amazing uh, historian. Here's what he writes commenting on the Gospels, quote, the contradictions are of minutia, not substance. In essentials, the synoptic Gospels agree remarkably well and form a consistent portrait of Christ. In the enthusiasm of its discoveries, the higher criticism has applied to the New Testament tests of authenticity so severe that by them a hundred ancient worthies, for example, Hammurabi, David, Socrates, would have faded into legend. He says that so much critical analysis has been given to the to to the gospels that nothing nothing would have stood up to this a hundred ancient worthies would have faded into legend had they used the same criteria and he goes on despite the prejudices and theological preconceptions of the evangelists which means the apostles they record many instances that mere inventors would have concealed the competition of the apostles for high places in the kingdom, their flight after Jesus's arrest, Peter's denial, the failure of Christ to work miracles in Galilee, the references of some of his, his auditors to this po his possible insanity, his early uncertainty as to his mission, his confessions of ignorance as to the future, his moments of bitterness, his despairing cry on the cross. No one reading these scenes can doubt the reality of the figure behind them. That a few simple men he goes on to, to say that a few simple men should in one generation have invented so powerful and appealing a personality, so loft an ethic, and so inspiring a vision of human brotherhood would be a miracle far more incredible than any recorded in the gospel. After two centuries of higher criticism, the outlines of the life, 
character, and teaching of Christ remain reasonably clear and constitute the most fascinating feature of the history of Western man. Whoa. This is what the, one of the world's greatest historians has to say. This is our Bible. This is our word of God. The outcome, what about us? Since the resurrection is indeed true and of first importance, how should it change our lives? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has risen from the dead. It is him who sits as intercessor between us and, and, and the Father. It is Jesus, because of his goodness we stand, because of him, and it is upon his resurrection that we stand. If you do not believe this, fall on your knees today and repent. Jesus has risen physically from the dead. If you do not believe this, your faith is in vain. It is in vain. Three times, three times it is said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, your faith is in vain. It even goes on to say your faith is worthless if Jesus Christ has not risen from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you for what it means, for the truth of the word of God. And Lord, I pray, I pray for those listening that you would give them a greater assurance in, in, the, in, in the resurrection, the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for those that don't know you, oh Lord, I pray that their hearts would be opened this day for the glory of Jesus. Touch their hearts. And I commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me Thank you so much. Thank you so much. <clears throat> that was remarkable, Dr. Tour. And I just feel under the anointing of the Holy Spirit right now, someone may be watching. I don't know where this video is going to go to, in totality. If there's someone who needs to receive Jesus as Savior right now. So I'm asking you to repeat after me. What you got, tug your feeling on the inside of you. It has a name. It's a person. It's called the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of God himself. And he's saying, come to me. Believe in me. Believe in who I am. Confess with your mouth what we have just heard, that he is Lord and that he actually truly resurrected from the dead. So in, the, in your own heart right now, pray these words with me. Dear Jesus, I need you. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. I ask for forgiveness of my sins. I repent of my sins. I turn away from my sins. I ask you to become savior of my life, to save me from my own sin. I ask you to become Lord in charge of my life right now. I yield my life to you. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. I receive you as Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Rosemary, pray for whoever prayed that prayer yes. right now. Father, we thank you that um, the power of your death and your, your resurrection, your very blood, delivers us from all evil. And Father, may you seal the testimony, the belief in each and every heart right now, that they will confess that you died for our sins, you were buried, and you arose again and are alive now and forevermore. And that soon, very soon, you are coming and returning again. So, Father, we thank you that hope, faith, love, all the virtues of your, your Holy Spirit, of your presence, God, would now come upon each and every hearer. Lord, that you would seal them in the power of your cross and that you would mark them as your very own. And this Resurrection Sunday, this Passover, God, as they partake and celebrate 
the great covenant that you um, fulfilled for us, Lord, they would know more than ever that they are in relationship with you as their defender, you our savior. We give you praise and glory, mighty God. And we thank you, Father, for your willingness to give the Lamb of God, your precious son, on our behalf, that we would have a way to you again. In Yeshua's name, amen. Mario, if you want to comment or pray, either one. Um, yeah, I do have a comment. I don't know if Dr. Tord need, needs to go. Um, the My comment is from a Jewish perspective on the resurrection, from obviously the Tanakh, the Old Testament, and the rabbinics, a resurrection is well within the Jewish doctrine. As you know, in the Mount of Olives, um, many people are buried there because they're waiting for the Messiah to be raised again, and they want to be as close to that as possible. Um, another uh, uh, proof is Rabbi uh, Schneerson, who was the Lubavitcher rabbi, half of his uh, followers, uh, Lubavitch, claimed that he was the Messiah, but he died a few years ago, and some are still believing that he's the Messiah. Why? Because according to Jewish rabbinic understanding, they, they, they actually said there's two messiahs, Mashiach ben Yosef, uh, which is the messiah that's to die, and then Mashiach ben David that's supposed to be resurrected. So they believe that their rabbi, who they claimed was messiah, will rise again because of their understanding. These are ultra-Orthodox Jews are waiting. Obviously, Rabbi Schneerson wasn't the Messiah, but the thought of the resurrection is well within Jewish theology. And lastly, Rabbi Pinhas Lapid, an Orthodox theologian, studied this at length and wrote a book from an Orthodox Jewish understanding on the resurrection of Jesus. And he said the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus is clear. And because we can prove that resurrection, this is how far that rabbi went, uh, Jesus was endorsed by God through the miracle of the resurrection to be kind of the Messiah of the Gentiles. Uh, it, it's a stretch to believe he's also the Messiah of all, including the Jews. Uh, this gospel of Jesus is the power of God to the Jews first and also to the Gentiles. And he quoted Maimonides. Uh, Rambam, who's a great, great rabbinic scholar, uh, quoted often by modern orthodoxy, who said that it was Jesus, who was a prophet, who brought the knowledge of a one true God, just uh, uh, because they had many gods back then, and the seven laws of, of Noah, which is all that the Gentiles are supposed to follow. And therefore, God has allowed or endorsed Jesus to bring the Gentiles into an understanding of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Rabbi Pinhas Lapid took it one step further. This is an Orthodox theologian proving the historical account of the resurrection, therefore validating that Jesus Yeshua was endorsed by God to bring the word of God. They go as far as to the Gentile world, but wow, so close to the reality of the understanding that Jesus Yeshua is, is the son of God, came and died for us since, was buried and was raised on the third day and the Jewish people and all the world is waiting for that hope of the resurrection. Back to you, Jim. And a huge thank you to all of you for being with us on this wonderful resurrection day. Thank you, Dr. James Tour. That you. was exceptional. We are so appreciated. 
So on behalf of Mario, Rosemary, and me at the World Prayer Network, we just, and then Robert as well, our shofar sounder, we, uh, we speak a blessed resurrection day up on you. Uh, go in the joy of the resurrected Lord, and we'll see you in the next broadcast of the World Prayer Network. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.